0: All right, why don't you guys open up to the book of Romans. The book of Romans, chapter 12. We're going to be in verses 14 to 21 today. All right. Sweet. Kyles, we're going to miss you guys. We love you guys so much. We're gonna come visit you in Tennessee. Yes, they said that we could all go at the same time. Um, junior high, you are excused. So sixth through eighth graders, if you're here in the room, you're excused go see Uncle Woody, and uh, you guys are gonna have a blast. All right, so we are 23 days into the new year. Uh, how many of you guys are still holding strong with your New Year's resolutions? Who's holding strong? Oh, not many. I like it. That's honesty. No, that's good. Uh, You know, I love New Year's resolutions. I think any time that we slow down and, like, take a look at our lives and go, hey, where have I been unhealthy... What would I like to be more healthy, right? Physically, spiritually, financially, whatever that looks like, and we and we set these goals. I think it's healthy. I think it's good. You don't have to wait for New Year's, um, but it gives you an opportunity. I mean, I've done we've done different things for New Year's. I've done the Paleo diet, uh, which I like. It's nice. It was like a 90-day caveman thing. It's pretty cool. It's pretty manly. Um, there, we did the Whole 30 diet one year. And we did not like it. Like I think I felt worse and looked worse afterwards. So if you're doing that, God bless you. That is not our thing at all. Um, The thing about New Year's resolutions is I always wondered: is is how do we how do we maintain the change that we want to see in our lives? Right? How do you get past like that 30 day, you know, little hump right there? Like we're doing a, a I'm a part of a accountability group with some guys, and we're doing this thing for 30 days. You know, and my heart is that we would do the things that we're trying to be accountable for past the 30 days. That it would sustain. How do we do that? Uh, my hope is that everyone in this room, one of your New Year's resolutions was to become more like Jesus over this next year. If it's not, it's not too late to start. Um, you could always do that. And, uh, and so what we see here in Romans, um, what we've seen is that when we give our lives to the king of heaven and earth... And he gives us new life. Our lives begin to change. Right? The the inward transformation that happens, it starts to to move outward into our lives. And we progressively become more like Jesus over time. Right? Over time. Um, And uh, Romans 12, what I love about this chapter is it shows us what your life could look like if you were actively following Jesus if you've given him your life and you say lord i want everything you have for me and we start following him and let the gospel transform us Romans 12 the verses that Mike went over last week and I'm going over today is a snapshot of what our lives could look like but see here's where i struggle a bit because you know we could just do Romans 12 and and you know we can go through the commands of the bible and i could say hey just you know go do better go be a better christian be holy Forgive one another. I could go up here and and do a whole sermon on how to be kind and how to be a good person. And that might actually get you to go out and, you know, in your own strength and try to be a better Christian. And you might get through Monday on your own strength. Or you might get through a whole day not criticizing your spouse for not being able to read your mind. Right? A whole day, like, not talking smack about that who's always late. Right, or you know, having vengeful thoughts about that neighbor whose dog likes to use your yard as his toilet, right? Whatever that looks like, um, you get a whole, a whole day of being a better person, and then Tuesdays, you know, it's okay. Wednesday, you're struggling, Thursday, you're losing it, and you don't want to talk about Friday and Saturday, and then you're cr- like crawling in on Sunday, like, All right, Pastor, just tell me what to do again. I barely made it, you know, and, 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 and we can see this cycle. And so, what we see in Romans. And a lot of Paul's writings is that he starts with the gospel. You look through at Ephesians, you look at Romans, you look at Colossians. And what you see is you see this grand picture of what God has done for us in Christ. The love, the mercy, the grace. And and it's from there that we're transformed. And so when it's at the, the latter parts of Paul's letters, do you see all these commands come into play. It's where you see Romans 12 come into play. We can't forget about the 11 previous chapters. See, Christianity is not just a self-help, how-to-be-a-good-person program. No, it's that you were dead in sin and then Christ has made you alive. The king of heaven and earth has given you his spirit that God has come and he's made his home with you. See, I heard an illustration um, that, that we're, we're, we're the train And the gospel is the engine. And the Holy Spirit is the fuel. And the commands of the Bible are the tracks that we run on. And if every week we're told just to go and obey. Go be better. Go be a better Christian. Every week go do this. Go do that. We're we're given the tracks every week. But we're not given the engine. And if we're not given the fuel, we're just going to stall out. We're going to be stuck. So Romans 12 What we're going over today. See, these are the tracks that we run on, right? But it's the previous 11 chapters in Romans that is the engine, the power. We can't just start today and go, all right, cool. Go never pay evil back to anyone. That's very difficult to do. We need the gospel. We need the rest of Romans, right? It's why it says that it's in view of God's mercies in verse 1 of this chapter. In view of his incredible love and unrelenting grace that empowers us to live holy and changed lives. We can't just tell ourselves to be better. But it's, we're transformed by the renewing of our mind. Right, it's setting our mind on Christ. It's looking to him, his life here on earth, his commands, his death, his resurrection. It's looking to his word. This is how we are transformed. See, 2 Corinthians puts it like this, that when we behold his glory... When we behold Christ, we are transformed into his image and we are transformed from one form of glory, one degree of glory to the next. It's, how we, it's, it's, it's putting our eyes and our mind on Christ that we are transformed into his image. And so the question again is this, are we more like Jesus? Are we growing? Is our New Year's resolution to become more like Jesus? Are we more like Jesus than we were a year ago? Five years ago is long-lasting change possible how do you become more like Jesus what does this transformation look like so we're going to get into it look down with me Romans twelve fourteen through 21 and it says this bless those who persecute you bless and do not curse rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep be of the same mind toward one another do not be haughty in mind but associate with the lowly Do not be wise in your own estimation. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. And if possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with everyone. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine and I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your grace, Lord. We thank you that you didn't leave us to our own devices, but you came for us. You rescued us in Christ, and we just pray that today you would speak to us, speak to our hearts, that you would show us where we need to grow, and that you've given us everything we need to to do that, And so we pray that you would speak to us, transform our hearts and our minds by your spirit in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so the first thing that we see in this passage is that Jesus transforms the way that we see others, right? Bless those who persecute you, right? So I'm going to confess a little bit this morning. Um, I don't always obey that. Uh, it can be very difficult to not want to get back at somebody when they wrong you. I have a horrible problem of wanting to be right, and, uh, and when I'm proven wrong, I might not react in the most kind and humble way, right? And if I'm proven wrong in a group environment, like in front of other people, I'm, I'm going to fight to the death, you know? And, I'm like, and I'll know, like, I'm like, oh, man, I think I'm wrong, but I, I'm not going to let anyone know. I'm like, I'm going for it. I mean, I got issues, right? And uh, you got them, too. Okay, and so... This is what it is. And so, you know, when, when somebody wrongs us unintentionally or intentionally, sometimes we might want to wrong them back, right? Intentionally, unintentionally, however that works out for you. Uh, there was this one time uh, me and my family we were driving down the H2 freeway, jamming out. You know, it was probably like Lecrae or Lauren Daigle or whatever, right? We're just, we're, we're, we're doing our thing that Jesus glorifying music. And um, what happens is the, the car in front of us, Um, Decided that they needed to clean their windows totally cool totally cool Um, But if you guys don't know that when you're on the freeway, and you're going 70 miles per hour, or if you go the speed limit 55 um, You know when you wash your window on the freeway the car behind you gets drenched Right if you didn't know that if you have like done that you're like wait what yeah, it happens Um, and so You know, we're probably in the moment of trying to like match pitch with Lauren Daigle, like this glorious moment, just in this awesome moment in the car, and all of a sudden this guy starts cleaning his window, and this person's window juice just goes boom, like all over our window, like gross, like your dirt off your window on my window, and so what do I have to do? I got to clean my windows. So I do what every uh, mature man of God would do, you know, and I and I return in kind, right? So I drive around. This is a long time ago, by the way. I drive around and I get in front of him like, oh, look, my window's dirty. I need to clean my windows. So, you know, I clean my windows, right? Maybe a little extra spraying, you know. Um, it happens. Okay. It's a long time ago. Forgive me, Lord. Okay. Uh what I just described there is something that we all go through in different ways, right, in, in different gravity and seriousness, but it's part of the human condition uh, that Jesus came to heal, and it's called our pride, right, it's, it's not that like that guy's like, ha ha ha, I'm gonna get this guy behind me, I'm taking it as a personal offense, like how dare you, right, so like it's this thing, but it's my pride, right, and what happens is it is it, is it keeps us from being able to obey a lot of this passage. So if you're looking at these verses, as we're reading these verses, and you're like, wow, these look really hard. Yeah, they are. Um, you're going to struggle with them if you're not letting Jesus deal with your pride. Pride will be your number one obstacle at being able to, to obey any of these verses. Because see, what happens is our pride turns anyone who does anything to inconvenience us right, to, to offend us or question us or go against our opinion. What happens is we turn that person into our enemy. Or like how dare you inconvenience me, right. Our pride flares up and we do the natural thing and we want to get even, right. But see, that's, that's the way of the world. And see, we've been redeemed from the world and its ways and we've been transformed into children of God. See, life's not about us anymore. Like our life's about Christ in us, right? And so we're not living for our glory, right? We're not needing to be right, but we're living for God's glory and for his righteousness. See, this is why Paul says in verse 17, to never pay back evil for evil to anyone. And I'm like, man, I'm like, ever? Like never, ever? Like it's never okay? Anyone? Like it was funny in our Ahana group, this just came up. um, It says to be at peace with all men in Hebrews 12. And we're like, somebody's like, well, what if they're, like, really difficult people? I'm like, yeah, I mean, you know, like, difficult people are hard. And, and, you know, like, what if they've really offended me? Like, what if they really deserve it? What if they've hurt me too many times with their words? What if they're my enemy? And Paul's like, that's exactly who I'm talking about. Bless those who persecute you? See, Paul is writing to the Romans, and he's trying to show them what the transformed life in Jesus looks like. It transforms the way that we see our enemies. And see, at this time, the enemies of Christians in Rome—they were persecuting them. See, the church was being persecuted. It wasn't them being made to wear masks at church, right, or getting their Facebook comments deleted, right? It was no, no, no. They were being—they were being like martyred. They were being hung on crosses. They were being put on stakes. They were being burnt alive. They they're being fed to wild animals by their enemies. And in this climate, Paul is instructing to bless them. Right, this wasn't an easy command. They were normal people like you and me who had families, who had hopes, dreams, fears. But because their lives had been transformed by the gospel, that they knew that their eternity was secure. Their hope was in the coming of Christ and spending eternity with him. And that while we're here on earth, we're called to be as ambassadors of love, grace, truth, reconciliation, no matter the cost. And it got me thinking, man, how would we respond to this kind of persecution? I I I would hope it would grow us, it would strengthen our faith. You know, history tells us that when the church is actually persecuted, faith strengthens and the church grows. How do we deal with persecution? See, there are some people that, like, and, and it happens. And A lot of times we're thinking third world countries, you know, crazy persecution. But it happens here in the States. It's, it looks different. It's a little bit more subtle. You'll be at work and they're going to be like, wait, you're a Christian? Well, you believe in that stuff? Like, you still believe in the Bible? Like, it's kind of outdated. Like, there's this thing called philosophy and science. Right? And then what happens is... We can smile for so long and we can go like, yeah, you know, but eventually it starts to eat away at people. And this has been happening all over the country and we're seeing people's faith actually crumble over this slow but consistent persecution against our faith in Christ. It could be that that family member at every family reunion kind of coming at you and kind of just poking at you and jesting at you. People at work, whatever that looks like. See, Jesus says that blessed are you when people persecute you and insult you and utter all kinds of evil falsely against you for his sake. You know, because they did the same thing to the prophets. It says rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. So so Jesus knew that this was going to happen and he's saying you're blessed. And in this climate, we're getting the command to to bless those who persecute you. So we're not just blessed for it happening to us. In that moment, we're actually supposed to respond with blessings. See, it's only a transformed life that can love in the face of evil, that can bless in the face of persecution. See, that shows the heart of a God who was persecuted, hated, and yet he loved, healed, and rescued. See, the transformation of Jesus allows us to see people who come against us for our faith as those apart from God. They're apart from God and they need Jesus. And guess who's supposed to show them that? Us. One thing that we can immediately do for those who are persecuting us is pray for them. Jesus says to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. You can pray for them. The next verse says rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. He might cover this. Um, last week, so he's like, "Hey, can I can I cover this first? Make like, sure, go for it, right?" And so, what I want to show us is how verse 15 and verse 16 are actually related. Verse 16, it says, "To live in harmony with everyone, to not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly, not being wise in your own estimation." See, how is it that we associate with those? who are different than us, who maybe the world would say are lower than us and a different class than us. How do we associate with people who maybe we tend to overlook? What does that, what does that look like? It's actually by rejoicing with them and weeping with them. Right? We rejoice with those who, who, who would, would be away from us and we weep with them in their sorrow. See, why would it be hard for us to do this? whether we see it or not, subconsciously, sometimes we feel like we're above certain people and so we don't take time for them. Maybe too busy for certain people. But see, when we're transformed, we now see that we've been created equal with everybody, that everyone's been created in the image of God. And we should be going to each person in love that we, us in here, should be known for our compassion and for our joy. We should be known for those who are able to enter into others' people's lives who genuinely love, who genuinely care. Like, hey, we're going to go talk to Pete because Pete always listens. We're going to go talk to Sally because Sally always cares. She, when I'm rejoicing, she rejoices with me genuinely. When I'm weeping, she sits there and she weeps with me. As Christians, we should be known for this in our communities. We should be known for this in our workplaces, that we are the ones that people want to go to because like verse 9 said earlier, we know how to love genuinely, to rejoice and to weep with those in our lives. This is gospel type love. See, the gospel awakens us to a God who is so far above us. He's so great. He's so mighty. He's so holy. He's so other and yet he cares intimately about us. See, the gospel shows us a king who stepped down from glory to associate with the lowly, to intimate himself with our rejoicing and our weeping so he could rejoice with us and weep with us. So he could know us, so he could love us, so he could die for us and then ascend to the right hand of God and be a perfect high priest who intercedes for us during our rejoicing and our weeping. See, this helps us to see others, no matter their status, to not be affected. To not be unaffected by their rejoicing and their weeping, but stepping into their with them to show them love. Who are the people that we tend to overlook? These are the ones we're called to go to. See, the world teaches us to hate our enemies, to think that we're better than others based on status and circumstance and wealth, right? The world tells you to distance yourselves from those who are different than you, that are lower than you. To curse your enemies, to get even. But see, this is why we're told earlier, right? To not be conformed to the world, to be transformed by the renewing of your mind, to set your mind on Christ, the Prince of Peace. Which leads us to our second point Jesus transforms us into peacemakers. Look back down with me, verses 17 through 19. It says this Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. And if possible, So far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So the fun thing about having kids, okay, if you guys have had kids, have kids, whatever, around kids at all, is that we get to see, me and my wife, we get to see unfiltered sin all the time. Just front row, like, popcorn, like, this is, this is, I'm better than any, any show on Netflix, right? It's like, it's like this is crazy. And, um, you know, like, and, and, it's, and sometimes it's hilarious because, like, they just, they're, they're so maybe unaware to, like, how sinful they are. Like, how much they need Jesus. Um, and, uh, and so, you know, I'm like, you did what to your little brother? I'm like, you know, and I'm like, go to your room. You know, like I just like, because it's hilarious. Like some of the things that they do and the dynamic is crazy because they could be the best of friends, right? Um, and then in a the second, they're the worst of enemies, right? Like just throwing accusations, um, you know, because someone didn't get their way, you know, or they didn't agree with me or whatever that looks like. Parenting's is fun. Um, the classic one is, you know, just them arguing and fighting, and one of them is like, "No, it's their fault." Like, "No, it's their fault." And you just kind of see this, and you know, they both think they're right, and, and so we move in and we make them apologize and just like hug it out. We always make our kids hug it out, which doesn't always end so well, because the oldest one will be like, "I'm like, oh, I'll hug it out," you know, and like like whispering threats in his little brother's ear, like, "Oh yeah, wait until we're done, right?" So so it's maybe not the best move every time, um, but you know what I see here is this is picture of our sin. Right, this picture of our pride, right? The world tells us that life is all about you and anyone who goes against your opinion is against you. All right, we see this online a lot. Um, It's been an interesting two years um, if you've been online in any kind of form of social media, just kind of the hate um, that's been going on. And, uh, and it's interesting because I feel like when people get behind the screen, they feel like they have this alternate, like, identity, and they can just say whatever they want. Like, ha, 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 ha you don't know who I am. And I'm like, no, I know who you are. Your, name, your name's right there, right? It's like, no, we know who you are. But it's like, why are you saying that? Like, it's, it's, this, it's this moment where they can just say anything they want, you know, and if people don't agree with you, you just get, like, a paragraph of hate. You're like, whoa, like, I don't even know you. This is like, Sue from Alabama? I don't know you. Like, you know, it's like, it gets crazy, right and so i mean this is the reason why i'm on a social media fast not really because of that stuff i'm not i'm not really into that but uh you know it's pray for me it's one of the 30-day things so it's good times um we get this all the time this propaganda that makes us kind of think that we're the sovereign of our lives right and the enemy knows that if he could just keep us focused on ourselves that he could just make us ineffective for the kingdom of jesus right look out for number one Nike you know you can do it or just do it or like focus on you Like all these things and like our alg the algorithms and like that are like people have like figured out for us Or are, are constantly showing us products that we like that we want to buy They're They're showing us opinions that we agree with and what happens is this subtle entitlement kind of seeps in you're like wait Life is all about me, right? And like you have this moment and and so you're the sovereign and people who don't see it your way technically are declaring war right you don't agree with my opinion about covid you don't agree with my opinion about the vaccine how dare you right and and you just see this tension because life's about my happiness my comfort my opinion And if you threaten me if you threaten that you threaten me and i know kung fu right so it's like you we have these moments and it, it's why we honk at the person who stole the spot that we saw first right like, we totally saw it first. Like, that was my spot, right? It's like, it's like yeah, I don't know you, you know. It's like, it's weird, right? It's why we spray people with window cleaner. Like, who does that, right? It's like, uh, it's, it's, it's why you yell at the tourist who, who, who decided to jaywalk right in front of you. Because they're waiting for you, right? They're like, haha, here he comes. I'm going, right? It's like, it's like we, we just take all of these things as personal offenses. Um, and, so, and so we, we, we kind of wrestle with that. Uh, the media it feeds into this mentality, right? It's why we, we watch uh, certain right-leaning or left-leaning news outlets, wherever we land and all that, um, because we don't like when people don't agree with us, so we don't, and we don't like to be uncomfortable, so just tell us what we want to hear um, and pat us on the back for our, our great opinions. And what happens is those people that we watch, a lot of their jobs is just to tear people down. Like their job is literally just to tear people down. We see it all over, read the news, watch the news. People are getting t- torn down left and right. And so what happens is we start to, to distrust people more. Or we start to judge people that we don't even know. And we kind of feel better than those people whose mistakes are all over the news. So we have this tendency to think we're maybe a little bit better. And this creeps into our mentality. So we, we, tend, to, we tend to not give the benefit of the doubt. We tend to to not be gracious, despite the fact that we've been recipients of an unmeasured amount of grace. We have the tendency to attack people quickly, to be disappointed quickly, to grow frustrated quickly. And God help us, we have the tendency to wound others quickly when we feel like there's been an injustice, whether there's been one or not. Uh, We see this, it could be something as simple, you know, as the wife, you know, getting on the husband about not taking out the trash, you know, whatever. And so the husband, she's like, you know, did you, you know, did you take out the trash? Why didn't you take out the trash? She's like, no, I was right about to take out the trash. Like, and now I'm, if I do it, you think it's because you asked me, but I was totally going to do it without you asking me. And so then there's this thing going on, right? And then uh, the husband's like, well, man, I would have taken it out if it wasn't for your crazy kids. And she's like, my kids, right? And there's this thing that's going on. He's like, well, it's your son who leaves his mess just like you everywhere. And it's just like, it's this World War III. And it's just like a peacemaker would have taken out the trash, right? So it's like, um... We see that, so the, the spouse, right, does like a little jab, and the other spouse wants to stab back, and, um, and, and so what happens is, in those moments, we feel like we're being questioned. We need to justify ourselves in that moment, right, and to correct their thinking, or right, we get defensive, and then we slip into this moment, and spouses can become enemies pretty quick. But we need to remember that there is only one enemy that is against our marriages. We have to say this, you know, in our house every once in a while, like, I'm not your enemy. And it doesn't always work, so it's not like the magic words. But I mean, but we, 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 we have to remind ourselves that, that if, if God left one thing to represent Christ's love for the church here on earth, it's the marriage. That the enemy is going to be after that part in our lives, right? And so we have to be on guard and recognize there's only one enemy. See, this is why we're given this command to be peacemakers, to not pay back evil for evil. Because when we do that, it gives the enemy a foothold in that relationship. See, Jesus shows us a different type of response, and that's humility. It's recognizing in that moment that you love your spouse, they're a sinner, you're a sinner, you both aren't perfect, and you need to have grace with one another. And from there, you take the initiative as a peacemaker. And see, this applies to every relationship, right, not just marriage, to that coworker that you kind of bicker with, that kind of gets on your nerves, like they walk into the office and you're like, oh, here we go, right? It's, it's that person, maybe it's your, your sibling that you struggle with or, or your roommate that gets on your nerves, maybe it's your adult child who's still living with you and you're like... You know, like whatever that looks like, now you love your kids, I'm kidding, right? But, right, so it's, 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 we get this encouragement and this command, right? Verse 18, if possible, so much as it depends on you, be at peace with everyone. See, so what this shows us is that, you know, one, that it, it might not be possible, okay? It says if possible, so know that there, there will be situations where maybe it won't be, right? But as much as depends on you, Be at peace. So you're dealing with your side of it, your issues, right? Every conflict involves two people. So you have a part of it, even if it's small. We we own up to that as much as depends on us. And see, we can't control that other person, so we can't expect them just because we're doing it that they'll do it, right? We can't be like, all right, cool. I've said my part. Do you have anything to say? Do you? No, no. We'll go fly a kite, right? No, you can't. You can't do that. You have to. You have to 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 lead right in that love, right? It's, It's it's in that moment you've obeyed Jesus. And we leave the rest to God. And if we can do this, these everyday moments, these everyday conflicts, right, turn into opportunities to step in to be peacemakers. Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God, children of God. It is a trait of the Heavenly Father. We, We inherit this as we imitate Jesus. Our pride wants to go to our defense. And we want to try to justify ourselves. But see, in that moment, we forget that we've already been justified in Christ. Why are we fighting so hard to be justified by everyone else? Is their opinion higher than God's? See, we don't have to prove ourselves anymore. He knows our shortcomings, our weaknesses, and our strengths. And he came for us. He accepts us. He approves us. He loves us. And he deems you worthy. So why do we let the words and actions of others undercut what God's already said about us? when we allow ourselves to be transformed by Jesus. It transforms the way we see ourselves. We see ourselves now as justified sinner saved by grace. So we don't need to justify ourselves to everyone all the time, but can show that grace that we've been given. We're not trying to be approved by men because we've been approved by God in Christ and we know that he's still working on us. You want to know how to expand the kingdom of God in your life? So far as it depends on you, be at peace with everyone, in your workplace, in our homes, to never pay back evil for evil. This is how God expands his kingdom in our lives. When we bless and do not curse, when we don't repay evil for evil in the world, but seek their good and do good and work towards their peace. See what happens is the environment around us, it starts to transform and we get glimpses of the kingdom in our lives. And here's the thing, when I say be at peace with all people, you're like, oh, I'm really good at that. I just avoid the people that I, oh, it's to keep the peace, right? Or or I just don't bring up the the touchy stuff and and everyone's fine. See, I'm not talking about just dancing around issues to keep everyone calm and keep the peace, right? Or avoiding the people that you have something against. Because that's not true peace. Jesus came that we would have true peace. Right, see, a lack of true peace is a lot of times a lack of conflict resolution. Ooh, we don't, a lot of you don't like that. Right, it's a, it's a lack of reconciliation. Right? See, we're called to be ambassadors of reconciliation. So when we seek our own justification instead of God's reconciliation, that's when things start to get a little haywire. See, sometimes we'd rather rehearse all the bad character traits or mistakes of that person, right, but play nice to keep, keep everything cool between you. Instead of proactively loving that person and dealing with issues. Right, being at peace doesn't mean not, oh, not saying anything to, make, to not make that person upset. But it's lovingly addressing things that are causing you to be at odds with one another. And maybe it's an unspoken bitterness or resentment that you have towards this person. And in your mind, they don't even know it. right? They look fine. Look at They're happy. They're living their life. Why would I even bring it up? I'm just going to keep that to myself. But see, peace is between both people. Peace is between two people. So if 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 peace that way, peace this way. And if it's if there's one way that there's no peace, and that's not that's not what God is calling us to. If you have something against them, and they don't know it, are you really being loving by holding that on to them and keeping them an enemy in your mind? See, some of the hardest conversations that I have had with my wife are like this. It's her bringing up something that I'm either you know. Like just didn't know about I could be oblivious to it because I'm a man and that's one of our traits to be oblivious. Um, right. And so she'll bring this up and you know, it's like either I didn't see it or or maybe I intentionally, you know, directly hurt her with my words, or I did something that needs to be dealt with. And she brings and these are hard conversations to have. It could be something that's been been being, you know, that's it's happened over long periods of time or whatever that looks like they're not comfortable. What happens is the tendency is for people is just to brush just brush things under the rug. Like we don't want to deal with that because we just want to maintain the peace. While there's turmoil and bitterness under the hood that's growing, right? And, and sometimes the other person doesn't even know and we need to bring that to the light. It might be the hardest conversation you have with this person but it needs to happen if you want to see true peace in your life. Whether it's a friend, a spouse. A family member, a coworker, your boss, right? But, but, but they're needed and they produce the most growth in our lives. And it could be the most loving thing that you can do towards them. So whatever the conflict is, whatever the situation is, check us out. We, we all have a part of it. Whether it's just your response to their issues, right? Maybe it's just you being bitter at them or responding to what they said with hurting words right, or whatever, we both have a part to play and so a lot of times you'll think, well, that per- it was, it's, it's 90% their fault, right, like, and so because they're 90% to blame, my 10% was just how I responded to their 90, so like, do I have to own up for my 10? Like, because they're 90% to blame and we, and we do that and we justify ourselves, but it's no, we've, we've still sinned, right, we've sinned against God and against them even if your sin was only in response to their sin, right? It's not like God is like, you know what? I totally get it. You know what I would have actually done? Like, no, that's, you know, he wouldn't do that. In fact, God has already given us an example of what he would have done, right? Which is initiate and forgive, engage, reconcile. And so like our heavenly father, we need to initiate reconciliation, Good questions to ask yourself in that moment when we're, we're, we're trying to approach these, these situations is, is what do I need to own here? Or what have I done? Where have I added to, the fu- uh, added to the fire? Where have I thrown logs, right? Because if we do that, if we ask ourselves these questions, you will see where maybe you could ask for forgiveness. But if you're not asking yourselves these questions, you're just going gonna to be like, well, you know what? You wouldn't have done that, Danny, if they wouldn't have done this. You're like, Danny, that's not who you really are. They made you do it because they acted this way. What happens, I'm trying to justify my sin before the Lord. But I need to be able to own up for my part, ask for forgiveness, and surrender the rest to the Lord. Verse 19 says, never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay says the Lord see the world says to take revenge but God says to trust in him and I recognize that there are some very difficult situations in this room there's a lot of hurt and pain that I don't know that I I don't know what what's going on there and there's some some that are deeper than others and I want to just I don't want to you know make light of what is being asked of us as Christians this is difficult For some of you guys it's safer for you and more loving to remove yourself from a particular situation so i just want to acknowledge that okay those situations are there but i would say for most of us god is calling us to not take revenge to not pay back evil for evil but actually pursue peace with those who have harmed us why because the god of heaven and earth saw us in our rebellion And we declared war upon him. We turned from him in our sin. We turned created things into idol. We worshiped lesser things than God. We glorified ourselves. We pursued his creation rather than honoring the creator. We defiled the image of God. We tried to build our own kingdoms and live in opposition to his rule and reign. We deserved hell. We deserved wrath. And we deserved eternal separation from him. But God, because of his great love for us, he pursued peace with us. The Prince of Peace came down to make things right. And even though we've offended him and we hurt him and we caused him pain, Jesus said, Father, forgive them. Father, let me go to those who are mine, who are called by my name, and let me heal them, let me reconcile them back to you. See, God didn't just sweep things under the rug. He didn't just ignore the sin and the hurt and the offense. No, he dealt with it on the cross. He says, I will deal with your mistakes, I will deal with your sin, and I will deal with your offenses. And he did so in Christ's death and resurrection. And in that moment, Jesus took our punishment so that me and you could be forgiven, so we could be reconciled, so we could know peace. God chose to forgive us even though we didn't deserve it. He loved us, pursued us, reconciled us, forgave us, and adopted us into the family of God. This is our mighty Messiah. This is the good news. This is where transformation comes from. It's by setting our eyes on Christ. It's by meditating on what God has done in him that we grow into Christ's likeness and that we see long-lasting change in our lives. But the hard part is, is letting go. Like what about the people who really offended us? What about the evil that's going on in this world? Vengeance is mine, declares the Lord. He has dealt with the offenses of our offenders. See, if the person is a, a believer that has offended us, their sin has been paid in full on the cross. And so how are we to, to continue to hold on to those things which have already been taken care of? See, I'm not saying that we don't hold people accountable for their actions, because we do. But it means that we're able to forgive them because God already has. Now, if our offenders don't know Jesus, and no amount of reconciliation will bring them to understand the grace and mercy found in Christ, no amount of love and forgiveness can get them to see how much they need Jesus, and reconciliation can't happen, well, then the Lord says vengeance is his. He will either deal with their sins on the cross or he will deal with their sins in the future judgment of all those who do not surrender their lives to the king of kings. God is a just judge. He is a righteous king. So he says don't repay evil for evil. Don't take your own vengeance. Vengeance is his. And he will take care of it. We need to trust God. He'll do his part. We do ours. And we seek peace and reconciliation. We pursue others because he pursued us. We can forgive others because we've been forgiven. And we can show grace to those who need it because we realize that we are in such need of grace every day. And I need it every day. See, those who are not aware of their need of grace and forgiveness tend to be ones who don't give it out very often. And that probably means because we haven't been spending enough time in, in his presence. Enough time at the throne of grace where we're receiving the help and the mercy in our time of need. Because when we do that, we realize how much in need we are and how much in need others are. And that we're actually called to be the vessels to show people what grace, love, and mercy look like. Which leads us to our last point. Jesus transforms us into overcomers. Verse 20, but if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I think some of us might be listening to this and be like, all right, Danny, so are you just telling me that I need to be a doormat? (laughs) Like I just got to take everything in the world and just take it like, that's not what I'm telling you at all. It actually gets better. See, as the people of God are not called to be a doormat and just take insults and walk around and show the peace sign, peace. You know, like, no, no, no. Jesus says that we get to actually take it one step further. We're not doormats. We take it one step further. He says to not be overcome um, by evil, but overcome evil with good. We take the offensive. What does that look like? If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If your enemy is thirsty, Give him a drink. It doesn't say just take it from your enemy. It says to actually outlove their evil. As believers, we are called to take the offensive, to proactively love and bless and serve those to, who seek to do us harm. See, it is when we do this that we are able to push back the kingdom of darkness and push forward the kingdom of light and responding to the evils done to us with blessing, with a meal, with buying them the, a drink from the vending machine, with, with grabbing the, a coffee for them, right? Actively seeking those, the good of those who seek to harm us with their words and their actions. This is kingdom living. This is transformation and actin, action. This is how God is transforming the world and how he's using us as ambassadors of reconciliation. See, transformed people have the power to transform every relationship, to transform their home, their workplace, by imitating the love and grace Christ has shown us in the face of offense. See, we move towards others trusting that God is sovereign and we're called to outlove the evil done to us. And when we do this, it's like heaping burning coals on their heads. See, now, some people have interpreted this to be like, okay, when we do good to our enemies, it's like we get to burn them. Like, yeah, get them back. Like, um, you know, and, 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 and some people have actually interpreted it like, yeah, it's like it causes them harm and shame. And that's what we're trying to do. I'm like, I don't know. Um, others say is an actual ancient custom um, that a neighbor would, when they would run out of coal and they couldn't cook dinner, the neighbor would then, they would have the pot on the head and then they would give them coal and they would carry the coal back to their home and be like an action of, of, of neighborly love, right? So which one is it? Well, I think it could be both because the people who said that are both way smarter than me. And um, wherever you land, right, I think it could because check this out, it's like, when we do good to our enemies, there, there's going to be this kind of agonizing emotion of, like, why is this person being kind to me? I don't like them. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like, why are they being loving to me? Like, why are my evil actions not getting the response that I want? Why won't they fight back with me? Why are they being kind? Why do they buy me lunch? Like, like what's going on? Like, it almost hurts them in a way. Right? But our goal is never to hurt our enemies. It should be to, as verse 9 tells us, to love genuinely. And actually want to see our enemies good. Because as we were the enemies of God, God sought our greatest good. We are called to do that with those who would be ours. We want to see their repentance. We want to see them reconciled. Not only to us, but to the Lord. We see enemies turned into friends and brothers and sisters. See, if Christ's response to my evil was to pursue me, love me, and seek me for my ultimate good, and that resulted in my new life, what would happen if we did the same to those who are hard to love in our lives? What would happen if every time somebody did something with ill intention towards us, a mean word, a cold attitude, we responded with love and action? With overwhelming them with blessing instead of cursing, what would happen? The kingdom of God would break in. The love of Christ would be made manifest and the presence of God would invade our lives. See, responding in love to harm done against you renders Satan's schemes useless and it penetrates the hardest of hearts. Every moment of conflict is an invitation to imitate our Savior, humble ourselves, and bring peace and blessing to that moment. Because we have nothing to prove. We've been fully accepted by Jesus and we're now called to live for his glory. Not ours, but his See, I'm not saying this isn't gonna cost you. It's not easy. It's not it's gonna cost you. It's gonna cost you your pride. It's gonna cost you emotionally, it's gonna cost you your time. But if the way we love one another comes at a cost to ourselves, it is then we have started to know what Christ like love is. You wanna know how this new year we can be more like Jesus? How we can see long-lasting change in our lives, look to him. Look to his example. Look at the good he overcame, his good that he overcame in our lives, overcame all of our evil. First Peter. Two says this, for you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth, who committed who while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously, and he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, for by his wounds you were healed. You see, the people that we interact with every day, right? If they're your brother and sister in Christ and they've offended you, we need to remember that that we all constantly need love, grace, and forgiveness because we're prone to stray. We're prone to hurt each other. So we need to learn how to forgive quickly, to show grace quickly because we know that we're all being made more like Jesus, but we're not there yet. So we show grace. Now, if the people in our lives that don't know Jesus, then we should be reflecting the grace we've been shown, the love that we've been shown. Right, That our words should be seasoned with grace and love. That when people see our words online or in an email or a text or they hear your words in person, it should have the aroma and the fragrance of Jesus. See, how is the world supposed to come to know our God if his people are not reflecting him rightly? And so maybe we haven't spent enough time with him. We haven't spent enough time in his presence when we do that, we see how absolutely in need of grace we are, how our sinning still needs forgiveness, and how much more we still have to grow as Christians. So I want to encourage us to find time this week to look at Jesus, to spend time with him, to look at his life, death and resurrection, the life he lived for you, the death he died for you, and that he has overcome the power of sin and death in your life, overcome the power of of sin in your life, the the sin to hold grudges, the sin to be bitter, the sin to to hold on to our pride. We have power over that. and We have begin power to love and to show grace and to forgive because we have been given the spirit of God. Jesus, Jesus never said it, wasn't gonna be, uh, it was not going to be easy, right? He says it's going to be crazy hard. You're going to face crazy kinds of tribulation in this world, but take courage. I have overcome the world and I've given you my very spirit to have the power to do things this world could never do and love in the craziest of situations, the hardest of, of, of possibilities, to show grace when no one else would, to forgive when it seems impossible and to reconcile others not only to ourselves but to bring them along with us to Christ. And so we're saying all this, and like, man, we want this. But I'm going to go back to what I was saying in the beginning. We're going to strive to do this imperfectly. Like what I'm what I'm saying is, we're, we're not going to do this perfect. We're going to fail at some in some points in times. That that it's it's sometimes it's not going to be easy not to pay back evil for evil, right? It's 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 sometimes we're going to want to get even, right? Sometimes we're not going to be able to not snap back when somebody hits us with their words. In that moment we need to pray Lord help me in this area help me to remember the grace I've been shown and, and you know and, and we want to be that we want to be striving for that asking God for his help but we're not going to be able to always do it and see God knew that and that's why he sent Christ to live the life that we couldn't live right because we inevitably will fall on our face as we follow Jesus that's why I'm not I'm up here saying go be better go try harder what I'm saying is Jesus did it for you he gave you his righteousness he gave you his love he's given you his power And he's given you everything you need. And so in light of that, live. From that grace, we live. And we follow Christ and transform the world around us. And it says we dwell on this grace that we didn't deserve. And we we think about Jesus hanging on the cross. Father, forgive them that we were reminded to forgive those who have wronged us, to seek reconciliation with those who harmed us. When we allow our minds to be transformed by the gospel, we'll see long-lasting change in our lives. It's from here that we're transformed to be able to follow Jesus into our relationships as we go back to work tomorrow, as we go back into our homes today. Because there's going to be people that we might need to seek reconciliation with. There's going to be relationships where you're going to have to love in the face of insults. See, Christ came not only that we would be saved, healed, and restored back to God, but that we would be restored to one another. That we would be restored to our relationships and that they would be healed. This is how that works. Steps of obedience and steps of faith. Bless those who curse you. Rejoice and weep with those around us. Seek to be at peace with those in our lives. Let down our pride. Humble ourselves by being the first to repent. The first to ask for forgiveness. And leave the rest to God as we strive to put others before ourselves. And we seek to love those who we would call our but Jesus wants to be our brothers and sisters. See, it's at this time, it's as the people of God proactively love the ones whose it's hardest to love, that his power is put on display, that the gospel is lived out and the kingdom of God moves forward in our lives. Amen.